What is up? What is going on, everybody? A more successful podcast would probably have a pilot, a lawyer, and a doctor. But you get us, and you get us on the other side of the song. Welcome back, everyone, to the 100th episode of the Threequel. Somehow, someway, you guys have put up with us for 100 episodes. And by us, I mean myself, Ethan Klein, and my two co-hosts, Brad Miller. It might be one co-host after this, because I know my contract ran out at 100 episodes. So um, we'll be renegotiating and see what kind of offer you have. And... With my performance lately, I won't be surprised if that offer goes down. Well, you guys will have to tune in next year, because we're closing out 2022 to see if Brad comes back. My other co-host, who seemingly is going nowhere, uh, because we record in his home, uh, Mike Duranig. Well, and, and you know, if you decide that you need to get rid of me, uh, we may not be able to get an airline pilot, but my wife is a doctor, so we could just bring her in. And I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Does that count? There you go. <laughs> Perfect. We are well on the way. Uh, this week for our 100th episode and for closing out uh, 2022, we are going to be talking about, I believe, got to think way back here, but I think it was Brad's pick, actually, for the month of December, Catch Me If You Can, directed by Steven Spielberg, uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, so our second trip into Leo's filmography uh, here this month, and uh I wanted to say America's Dad. Maybe that could be a conversation we could have. It feels like he's kind of like taken over the role of America's Dad, Tom Hanks, uh, in in the uh, supporting. Thought role. you might be going Christopher Walken there. <laughs> no, that, he's like America's kind of drunk uncle in the in, in the corner of the room uh, at, at all of the holiday gatherings. But Christopher Walken also in this film, uh, 2002. Uh, I believe garnered a lot of uh, critical praise. It's a movie that's uh, beloved by almost everyone I've ever talked to that has seen it. Catch me if you can. So uh, let's get into it. I'll ask you guys the question that I always do, and that is what was your first experience with this movie? Did you go see it in a theater in 2002? Did you catch it later on TV? Did you wait all the way until now? If this was your first viewing, I incredibly doubt that that was the case here. But uh, what was your first experience, and what did you bring into this rewatch for the podcast? Well, I picked the movie because I've seen it before. I have no idea what my first experience was. Uh, I think it was just a rental, um, probably blockbuster at the time. Um, don't think I saw it in the theater. But uh, if, as you were mentioning some of the actors, though, I was thinking, who knew, like, the star from Big, mm-hmm. one of the stars from The, the Goonies? Uh, I think Leonardo, Leonardo was in, uh, like, Family Ties or something way back when, like, uh, for a few episodes, I think he was oh. like a cousin or something. I, maybe I'm completely making uh, that was, up. Uh, like, it was it was one with Alan Thick, right? What, what was that show? He was in that one. That's the one I, I think. It's, it's not Family, Family Ties. Ties. It's something else. But yes, that's the one he's in. Okay. Okay. But yeah, I was just thinking. Growing like, pains. Growing pains. There, there you go. go. Yes. Yes. I'm so glad we got there. Guys. So. Uh, what you, this is what you pay us for. Yes, right? that was my first experience watching these actors all come together through their life to culminate in this uh, in this film. So, um, but yeah, it was a great re- rewatch. Probably seen it four or five times. It's not up there with Red Eye. I mean, a few things are. That's, uh, that's this true. also is not on the Red Eye or even you know Tombstone or or The Rock. I, I believe I have seen all of this movie before, but I don't believe. 
this is a movie I've never sat down and watched all the way through. So I knew the plot, I knew where it was headed, I'm pretty sure I saw pretty much every scene before this, but this, I believe, was my first time sitting down to watch this movie front to back, so I don't uh, have a whole lot more than I, that I take into it other than I, I knew the plot, I knew the, the actors, and uh, I knew where the movie was headed as I watched it. Yeah, my first time seeing this, I believe it was at my grandparents' house. I don't know, they must have rented it, or I don't know if they had a DVD or something. I'm not quite sure. I just remember, I always remember the opening of the movie, um, because my grandma would always have the old Game Show Network TV channel on, and I knew that game that they show at the beginning, The is it, I don't know, To Tell the Truth, is that what it's called? Um, but so I that is just ingrained in my memory. And then I know that I was young enough that... The knock-knock joke that Tom Hanks tells when he goes to tell it the second time, I was scared that I was going to get in trouble for watching it, but he doesn't say the F word the second time. They cut away. So I got away with it and was able to finish the rest of the movie. Nobody knew that I was watching uh, this this terrible, horrible uh, movie filled with all these curse words. Um, but that that's my first memory, pretty young with it. And I've seen it a handful of times over the years. Uh, the way I described it to someone was that this is never, and I don't know if this has changed, this is never a movie that I'm just, like, in the mood to watch. I'm never just like, oh, I really, you know, I haven't watched Catch Me If You Can in a while. I should, I should put that on. Yet, whenever I've watched it, I've always just walked away entertained and really impressed because it's, it's just a group of people that have always been at the top of the list of talent coming together to make a really, really good movie, even if it's not one that's necessarily in my top, you know, 25, top 10 films. Um, so let's get into it the way that we do our, our opinions of the film, and that's the Rotten Tomatoes game. This gets harder and harder when I have to think back to the last time that we were together. Um, any ideas of who's supposed to be playing this game? No. No, you could totally make anything up at this point. I think, I'm trying to even think back to what our most re- recent episode was. This is what happens, guys, when we record weeks apart and right. I know that you guys think I admitted to cheating, and I didn't. Um, and then I know I lost, and I'm just going to assume I lost to Mike. So I'm going to say that Mike's the reigning champion, and that Brad uh, gets the chance to snipe him. So, Mike, why don't you start us? Uh, what is the sitting Rotten Tomatoes? 2002. It's DiCaprio. It's Hanks. I think it was probably pretty well received. So I'm going to just uh, put it at a 93. Ooh. So that Brad gets to decide if it is super good. I think, from what you said about the actors in it and how well received it is, I think I'm going to go slightly higher. And I'm going to go 94. Um, and I'm probably going to, my jaw is going to drop when Ethan says it's like a 75 or something. But yeah, I'm going to go 90, I don't think there's any way it's there, but 94. Uh, well. We are not quite in Goodwill Hunting territory, but this is going to be one of the highest reviewed films that we've ever talked about on this show. Uh, Brad's going to win because this is sitting at a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, all the way up there. Audience at 89, so a slight gap. And not that, I mean, 7% is not huge, but there's a pretty big break between something. You know, once you're over 95, you're in kind of a category of your own. When you're in that low 90s range, and then when you have an 8. Uh, in front like they, they are different categories like once you start getting up that high so the audience puts this movie in a slightly different category than the critics did but still uh, both numbers very high um, so then I'll ask the question that I do 
is Rotten Tomatoes correct? Ninety six percent. That's that's saying a lot. Like if you're if you're putting this movie all the way up there, um, that's you know saying ninety six out of hundred critics that saw this were like, yep, this is a re- this is a good movie. Like you you should go see this. Um, and then if you're putting it on a grade scale, you're saying that this movie's darn near perfect. Like I I mean we've never done a one hundred percent movie on here. I think there's only a handful of one hundred percent movies in Rotten Tomatoes, and they're movies we are never gonna do on this show. Um, which is fine. So this is about as close to perfect as you can get. I wanted in my new contract that Ethan cannot veto certain movies, so he just made a comment that can't be factual because he said we will never do them. But we have free free choice I'm, as long I'm, as it came out the month that we're. I'm recording. not doing Citizen Kane. It's just well, not going to happen. Isn't, isn't like one of the other movies that's a perfect rating something like Paddington? Something yeah, I don't know. Which Stop. I don't see us picking no. either. No, I'll go with you on that one. That's, a matter of fact, going to be in the contract that we cannot do Paddington. <laughs> there we go. Okay. But this, is Rotten Tomatoes correct on this movie? 96%. I'm interested where you guys are at on that question. Um, no, I don't think they're right. I I ranked this, at, I just was looking at our list, I ranked this as the 36th, uh, 36th best movie that we've done. So I think just by default, it can't be a 96, in my opinion, um, because that would suggest that all 35 ahead of it are, you know, going to be similarly scored, and that's just not the case. Even if you take out a handful of, you know, just ones that I know are guilty pleasures or ones that I watch for nostalgic reasons, um, still putting it at 36, I would say if this had come in at, like, in the mid-'80s, you know, eighty-five to ninety, somewhere in there, I'd say they're pretty, pretty close. But to call it a ninety-six, no, there were too many flaws in my mind. Um, and after Mike gives his review, we can go over some of those. Yeah, I think that the audience is more uh, spot on here than the critics. And yeah, as you pointed out, it's only a seven-point gap. But I do think there is a fundamentally huge gap between an upper '80s film, which I could buy this being there. Um, and a 96, which is saying, like, this movie it was perfect for what it was trying to be. It delivered. Uh, I had it at, at 43 out of our 100, and so certainly the upper half, but I don't think that it was perfect in terms of how good it was uh, to say, like, ah, it wasn't super entertaining, but it's so good it has to be up here, nor do I think it was so entertaining that it's better than some of those guilty pleasure movies, so... Uh, audience probably had it right. Critics, uh, I think, were lost in the um, kind of moment with Leo and Hanks and, and everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss of where or how to rank or grade this movie because, like I said, it's never on my up-next list. It's never a movie that, oh, it's been a couple years, I really need to watch that. I'm sure I'll stumble upon it again five, six, seven years from now and happen to watch it, but it's not one that sticks in my head as an all-timer. But at the same time, like I said, every time I've watched this movie, I've been entertained for the entire two hours and 18 minutes, whatever the runtime is on it. And I don't really... I'm curious to see, like you said, that you have like legitimate like uh, complaints about the movie. I'm curious because I don't... There was nothing I hated about this movie. I wasn't bored. It's funny. Leonardo DiCaprio, I think this is... When I think back on Leo, like, I mean, I think Blood Diamond's the best, but where people are like, oh, he's the greatest actor of a generation, blah, 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 
this start to his career is where I could see that happening. I don't think it panned out that way. I don't think he's the best actor of his generation. I think he's, at this point, maybe a little overrated just based on hype and things like that. But this guy is absolutely someone that should have grown up to be the leading man. He's so charismatic for how young he is, and they play him up to be like 18. He's probably in his mid-20s, I don't know. But he's fantastic in it. I love Tom Hanks. I don't have any complaints about this movie. There's just something about it that's not like... I would turn around and watch it again next year because I know someone that hasn't seen it. Like, I don't, I don't know. So I'm not really even sure where to put it at. So I'm curious, like you said, you have specific complaints about it because I really don't, but there's just something that doesn't pull me back. Yeah, I, I think complaints is probably a bit strong of a word. I think the things that I noticed that stuck out that would drag the score down for me is we, we talked last month the, the or over this past month that the theme of the December movies is that they're kind of repetitive. And I think for me, that was just, they probably could have cut out a couple of the interactions where he almost caught him and didn't, and he slipped away and didn't. And it's like, we get it. The guy, the guy's a great check forger. Um, he's smart, you know, uh, he's slipper. He's going to get away. Like, I, I think that just was a, a bit repetitive. Um, I didn't like, and I, I can't remember now, it's been a few weeks since I watched it, exactly how Hanks found him in that printing factory. Um, but I remember thinking, like, if this is the time he's going to capture him, it's just like, oh, now they're together in this room, and he's going to get, he's not going to get away at this moment. So, like, there wasn't enough climax build up to that final showdown, in my opinion. But then the, the other one that was just, I can't get it out of my head now that I, I've, I've seen it or talked about it is at one point he said his age in the film he was supposed to be playing i think a 17 and a half year old at one point um and then he so we're celebrating these sexual relationships that he's having with these older women at 17 years old and once i heard that and saw it like you know with the stewardess and and different people that were just kind of coming in it just obviously that just kind of bothers me Morally, I guess, to know that this kid, why couldn't he play an 18-year-old if they're going to have these sex scenes? You know, like, uh, why do you have to be underage? So that was uh, one of the things that, that kind of stuck out that would drag it down a little bit for me. Um, so overall, I mean, good film. I mean, even to say it's in the high 80s is not a knock on the film. It just, yeah, 96, I think you're probably giving it a three or four point bump just because of who's in it. Um, with those actors. Well, I think also because it was a Spielberg movie, right? Yep. So you've got really the trifecta there with Leo. Um, and this was that movie he was trying to kind of move away from being the teenage heartthrob, even though he hadn't been a teenager when he did Romeo and Juliet or when he did uh, Titanic, right? Uh, he was 28 when this movie came out. Okay. And so late 20s, but you have him in that era... Uh, you've obviously got Hanks at probably like the peak of his power coming out of the 90s, right? Yep. And then you've got Spielberg, who's always a big draw. Um, and I think it's a movie where critics probably just overlooked some of the flaws in the movie. I agree with, you know, really everything that you just shared there, Brad. To say, like, man, look at this. These are these three coming together at the peak of their power. You've got Hanks, the established actor. You've got Leo, the up-and-coming next Hanks. You've got Spielberg. And it's a fine movie. It's not to to knock it down, but uh, it's definitely not one that I'm going to rush to say. Oh, I can't wait to see that again. Right. That there was there's like there's a scene. It's when he's involved with Amy Adams, and he's. It's when he's getting ready to run away, and he's telling her everything, and she's like correcting. Him. She's like, "No, your name is this and this. You're 27 years old." 
and that part did take me a little bit out of it because I was like, I, I mean, great, I I am terrible at guessing how old people are. I could assume that a, I could say someone looks forty, and I find out that they're like, you know, sixty. I have no idea. I'm mm-hmm. terrible at that game, all that stuff. But there's zero percent chance that I would mistake a seventeen year old for a twenty seven year old. Also, while living with that person, like, I don't know, that, that that part did take me a little bit, and I, obviously it did happen in some way, but I went from assuming that she had some level of, like, awareness of the world to thinking that he was about to marry maybe the stupidest person on the planet. <laughs> like, that, and the fact that her dad, he's, what is, he's like the Attorney General of Mississippi, right? Yeah, he's, he's, in a, he's in a prominent attorney. I don't know what role yeah. he has in the state, but yes. Also... Well, apparently stupid like that but i also wonder if is maybe part of what they're trying to get at in this story right based on this true story is that people see what they want to see and they believe what they want to believe right so i'm dressed like an airline pilot and i feign even a little bit of confidence and people right. just assume okay he's an airline pilot right um and so what did the dad want to hear well, what the dad wanted to, to see what the dad wanted to believe was that this wildly successful person was interested in his daughter. Right. And so rather than focusing on all of the evidence to the contrary, you know, you put it in through that scope or that, that schema, and then you're like, oh, okay, well, this is what I want to see. Right. Um, and so I, I think that that might have been part of the point of the movie. I don't know that it was super well done. But again, I, I haven't read into this guy's story to tell how much of this is like fictionalized versus how much is real, but... It's based on on somebody who did some of these things, at least, right? Well, yeah, and the only thing that I could like even equate to his experiences in agreement with what you just said, you know, like when I was fourteen, fifteen, sneaking into R-rated movies, or when I got older, like I've snuck into some like VIP things at concerts before, always with the same tactic: act like you belong. Just walk in. Don't ask anybody any questions. Don't stop for anybody when they say something to you. Just keep walking, and most people are going to assume like, yeah, that guy's supposed to be here. That works ninety five percent of the time. I mean, mostly at, like I had a five percent uh, at a Notre Dame game. I I didn't want to wait in the line for the bathroom, so I thought just stand here, act confident, like it's your spot in line. And I was about to walk in the door, and a, one of the California fans was like, "Bro, what are you doing here? I've been behind this guy guy for like an hour. This isn't your spot." And I tried to play it off, you know. And he's like, "Yeah, get to the back of the line." So. I, I tried that, and I was reminded about the 5% right there. I was like, yep, I'll go find another bathroom. Uh, but, yeah, so I think really the interesting part of this movie, um, by the time I got down to the end of it, what I kind of hung up on, um, and not to skip, I know we usually talk about, like, in front of it, behind the camera, we've talked about Leo and Steven Spielberg playing on the show, and Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks. He's never going to not be Tom Hanks. Um, I, the question I had for you guys coming out of this, so, you know, we get down to the end, they catch him, at whatever age he's supposed to be at when they catch him, I think in his early 20s in France. And he spends not that much time in jail and then gets the deal of working for the FBI. Do you guys think that justice was served in this movie? Like, what's the balance of, quote-unquote, a victimless crime outside of whatever, you know, mental trauma that Amy Adams stupid character is going to go through now after uh you know distrusting people but like he's just you know he serves a small amount of time in jail and then he basically just gets to live his life and gets a job that he's getting paid for tracking down other people so the balance of he stops 
50 people that are doing exactly what he did is worth him no longer doing what he did. Like, what's the... I think, though, what you're... What that's uh, not taking into consideration is that, in a lot of ways, that is this guy's prison. Like, he was traveling the world. He was living this life of whimsy and whatever he wanted to do, and now he's sitting in an office looking at files of people that are trying to do similar things and, and be fraudulent and catch them. And yeah, it's a job. Yes, he's getting paid. Yes, he's not behind bars. But in a lot of ways, he's a caged bird. And he has freedom, but he knows if he you know steps out of line and gets caught, he's going right back to jail. So mm-hmm. um, I, I, think, I, I think there's other ways to do it. Like put him in a... Put him in a... a a confined area where he doesn't have that freedom and have him review these cases and, and get back with the FBI, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but they obviously didn't do it that way. They had him going into the office and that sort of stuff. But, but no, I, I think that, I think that, uh, I'd be happy with that outcome. If, if someone said, Hey, for the rest of your life, you're, or the next 40 years, you're not sitting behind bars, but you're going to this office every day and going through these files and, you know, so yeah, I, th- I think justice was served. Well, I would even take it a step further, right? Like, the the goal is not just to catch him, but the goal is to make sure that kind of twofold, right? One, the crimes don't continue. Two, in that process, ideally, that you rehabilitate the, the person who's engaging in the crimes. And so I think not only was justice served, but in many ways, this is the kind of stuff that we should probably be doing more of uh, in our country rather than just locking people up and, uh, you know, saying, well, they, it says 10 years, the minimum sentence is 10 years. How do we get them to be productive members of society? Cause what they did do is take this kid from a traumatized kid who, um, you know, was breaking a boat ton of laws, but wasn't overtly, like you said, hurting too many people right. and moved him into an adulthood that followed societal norms and helped to catch other people. I would say that that's a very successful criminal justice intervention, quite frankly. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, like, if you met someone, in pu- like, if you if you were out to dinner and bumped into someone and they were like, yeah, I've, I, like, I've murdered three, four people. Well, that's upsetting. I'd like to stop talking to you and I'd yeah. like to go call the police. If you bump into someone in public and they're like, yeah, I took some stickers off some airplanes and now I'm a millionaire. Well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Could you show me how to make, right? Like, I mean, because it's not, like, it's just... The response that you would have to meeting this guy in public would not be one of fear. He's not a dangerous person. He literally, the entire time, he just uses his brain. There's not a single real action scene in this movie short of him climbing out of the toilet on an airplane, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, it's not the kind of person or the kind of criminal he is. So I agree. I just, I knew that you guys would have some very good insight. And yeah, I think that, I mean, I can't remember every detail of the film, you know, being a few weeks ago, but he didn't ever hurt anyone physically right i mean i think Mm -hmm. the biggest thing he did obviously besides taking money is like demanded that it took other people's time and energy and effort to focus on him rather than maybe other more important crimes or more you know serious crimes that are hurting other people so um yeah i mean you're right like you're gonna look at that and say all right let's use this guy's brain versus let's just lock him up and and forget about him because he stole some money from people. Right. Well, and that's the thing is that, you know, the, the victim in this, I think what makes it so that you can entertain this discussion a little bit more is that by and large the victim is major corporations who are being defrauded, right? right. Uh, the airlines, major banks, things like that. Um, but 
it's not like even with the scale that he was defrauding them, they are going under because of this. They're doing layoffs because of this. It's it's more of an inconvenience to them than it is uh, something really damaging. Well, it's always interesting to, I, I think about this a lot, like our perception of how much we like a character, this or that or whatever, is just based on if they're the main character or not, right? Like if if this movie only had Tom Hanks in it, if it was just Tom Hanks being assigned to chase this guy down and he's getting pressure from his bosses and probably almost losing his job because he can't catch this guy, by the time he caught up to him, we would hate him. Same thing like the town. If the town was only told from John Hamm's perspective, you'd be like, oh my gosh, these guys are psychopaths and they're kidnapping a woman and then trying to have sex with like, mm-hmm. But they show it from Ben Affleck's perspective, so we're like, Ben Affleck's a badass, and Jeremy Renner probably deserves to die, but he's pretty cool in the process. Like, it's all just because they're on screen for a certain amount of time. So, they, you know, when they give us sweet little innocent Leonardo DiCaprio, it changes the whole narrative. And See, I think for me, in this one, this was one of the few where I was rooting for him to get caught. Really? Like, and maybe it's just because it's Tom Hanks, but normally I'm rooting for the, not rooting for the criminal, but I'm hoping like okay what's next i want to see what's next I, i'm hoping he gets away so i you know not hoping that he commits another crime but um in this case yeah i, I don't know if, if the character was just more annoying to me or what was going on with it but i find i found myself like yeah let's catch this guy get him you know here's some details that he left behind and like when he was in that room that hotel room and hanks was there and didn't know who he was like Normally, I'd be thinking, I want to see how this guy gets out of here and rooting for that. But I was actually like disappointed that Hanks, you know, missed that opportunity. Yeah, uh, agreed. I think it's it's very interesting um, the the way they go about that. Let's roll. I, I don't know. Do you, is are there any outstanding performances? Like I said, I don't know. The, this movie's just not pulling me back in to stop and necessarily talk about anything. I think the, the most shocking thing is just how many people were in it. I just forgot. I forgot Jennifer Garner was in it. I forgot the uh, lady from Grey's Anatomy pops up, and I think she's the flight attendant. Jennifer Garner's the hooker, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jennifer Garner's the hooker. Yeah, she she was the one that was like, you know, I don't know, how much would you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How much would it take? Yeah, yeah. $1,000 or whatever. Yeah. Elizabeth Banks was in it. Um, yep. Ellen Pompeo, I think, is who you're That's talking the, about. Yep, from, she's the flight attendant. Um, Elizabeth Banks, yeah, yep, I had forgotten about that. And I think none of the performances in this, even, you know, I generally like Martin Sheen. It's kind of a blah performance for yep. him. I am always intrigued by Christopher Walken. It's kind of a blah performance even for him. Well, he got, so he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor. That's, this got nominated, and that, I thought that was really weird. Like Who did? Talked, Christopher Walken did. Hmm. I mean, yeah. we talked, we talked this, you know, we talked about, Mike and I made the push for Val Kilmer should have been nominated for Best Support because, you know, he stands out in that movie. Things like, I mean, Christopher Walken just was himself mm-hmm. when he was on screen. It, it didn't stand out. What did stand out, it got nominated for two things, that and then the score, which the music in this is great. That I love that, it the the pace that the music sets for that, so that's fantastic, but I don't think... I, I would actually Walken. argue that his mother in this film might have had the second best performance. Like, she played uh, the innocent victim, naive mother... Um, you know, foreign woman in the in the in another country sort of thing. She played that very well. Mm-hmm. And I was very compelled by her performance, um, and uh, you know, always also had just blind faith in her son that he's right. 
doing all of these things. I mean, not that Hanks needs a pat on the back, but I enjoy it when guys do something a little bit different. And he's not lovable America's dad, Tom Hanks. He's kind of a dick. Mm-hmm. Like, but he does it really. But he does it still in a way that's like kind of endearing to. Somehow he looks forward to those calls on Christmas Eve from him. Like he is an asshole, but still Tom Hanks in it. Like it's it's a little bit different. Like I I appreciated that. Was your confusion, Mike, because you forgot Jennifer Garner was in it, or did you not realize? Well, no, I I didn't forget. I was just it it was one of those bit pieces, and I I think that I realized it in the moment. But again, as you mentioned, it's been a couple of weeks since I watched it, and I think Mm -hmm. that my mind was racking because I had um, I just I think had forgotten that. And it was a bit part, right? Uh, Elizabeth yeah. Banks, I had remembered. Yeah. Um, well, I rem- she did such a good job with that part that I re- I remembered thinking like, is she stealing this check from him to have his fingerprint, or like I was thinking, is she a plant from the FBI? Uh-oh. You know, obviously later you realize, oh yeah, she was just a prostitute. But um, I thought that yeah, she was one step closer to to figuring out who he was and thought that she was um, working on that side. Let's uh, let's roll it into favorite line, favorite scene. Uh, gentlemen, what is your guys' picks for favorite scene from... I think for me, it's the one I mentioned earlier. It's that hotel room. Um, it's just the, you know, he's got his gun drawn. You don't know what's going to happen. The... the as your seat kind of moment because that's the first time it's like oh crap they're gonna they're gonna catch him and uh i think i would just go with that don't need to say a whole lot about it yeah that i mean i'll just pick it that's mine too that's always been my favorite scene just the the way that they handle it him him giving him the wallet full of cutouts whatever it is and just tom hanks's reaction is perfect just throwing it across the room after he goes out kicking the ice bucket like I, i think it's just really good and it's it's fun to see two great actors have scenes together, and we kind of get robbed of it in these movies. Like whenever they put them on screen, like you know, in Heat, we only get it for like five minutes, right? Like it, it's just fun seeing guys like that on screen together, and I think that's the best part of it. Yeah, I mean, it'll be a quick, clean sweep. And what I will say from that scene is that I think that that scene shows you or gives at least some credibility to why some of these people would have thought that this guy was so much older than he is, because the way he just turns it on. Um, and acts so confidently uh, in that scene, he comes across as if he is also a government agent, and it's not like Hanks's character is new in this, right? So um, it, it, I think, gives a little bit more credibility to why, why the other people would have felt the same way. Honorable mention would is absolutely when he pretends to be the teacher for a week. I love that, and when I saw this as a kid, I dreamed of being able to do that. I thought that was the coolest to imagine being able to just like take over a classroom as a 16 year old is is pretty sweet like that i, I think that would be good what is it, the principal's like yeah he, he planned a field trip and he had kids sign off on it i think that's great uh do you guys have any favorite lines i mean there's a lot of back and forth that's really great um but i mean for me it's got to be the knock knock joke that that hanks delivers um yeah. just because it's so dry and just so perfectly timed um and he he uses it as sarcasm but he also uses it uh later on as a middle finger to somebody so Mm -hmm. um yeah i just gotta uh, go with the go f yourself line as the climax to the knock knock joke mike any fantastic lines for you 
Hey, there's a lot of good dialogue in this. I would give kind of probably uh, some credit just to the dialogue in the final scene as they are uh, at, I think it's Dulles Airport. And I just liked the, the line, right? Sometimes it's easier uh, living the lie. And I think, that, again, why did these two characters uh, find this common ground and then go on to become really good friends for the rest of their lives? It's because in some way, shape, or form, Hanks, because of the way he was living the lie of his life after having you know, left his family, uh, but was still telling himself the lie that his little girl was still four years old, understood why Leo's character was globetrotting and pretending to be something that he wasn't. So I'll give uh, credit to that dialogue there. I think mine, it's one of the conversations they had. It might be the first conversation they have on Christmas Eve, um, but Leo tries to recycle the line of why do the Yankees win that his dad told him, and then Tom Hanks's response of the Yankees win because they have Mickey Mantle. No one bets on a uniform. Um, and again, just that little, any, anything involving the two of them I think is great. And then just that, that pushback of like, you think you've got this figured out kid, but I am going to get you. Like, it, it doesn't matter how many like cute little one-liners you have. Like, I, I will figure this out. Um, and I always appreciated that. And I think that will wrap up our conversation of Catch Me If You Can. It'll wrap up our 100th episode and it will wrap up. 2022 we will be right back at it uh next year uh, i hate it when people make that joke but i two, did it so two of you will yeah yeah we'll see uh you guys will have to tune in and find out uh if if brad is still here but brad whether you're here or not um what movie are we going to start january <laughs> so that we can tell the folks at home uh probably uh i believe 1917 right. is the one that we uh will be watching next all right so we're gonna kick off 2023 with my pick for the month of january 1917 uh with or without brad mike and i'll still be there you'll have to tune in and find out if it is still three of us doing this show uh but other than that guys for mike for brad i'm ethan and we'll see you next time <laughs>